ahead. Spoilers ahead. Hello out there, all you bird-watching fans. You've clearly tuned into the wrong podcast, because we talk about movies here at Max Mike Movies. But why not put down the binoculars and stay a while and listen? We're starting a brand spanking new series here, and if you're good, we'll skip the series and get straight to the spanking. Ooh, a spanking, a spanking! Our new series is Leave Em Wanting More, a discussion of that staple of Hollywood, the movie sequel. Yes, those films that return revenge and electric boogaloo their way into your hearts. You love sequels. Hollywood commands it. (laughs) Some sequels are great, some are less great, and some are, oh God, my eyes, my eyes, why in the name of all that is good and holy would anyone born of man and woman create such an abomination? Not great. You mean like Showgirls (laughs) 2? You laugh, I think there was one. (laughs) <laughs> easy, easy, go to your happy place Help me, well, Bumpy <laughs> This week, well, it's not really a spoiler to say We're talking about one of the most praised and lauded sequels of all time Godfather 2, The Re-Godfathering Okay, I added that bit I'm your host, Max the Staple Gun Levine And over there, still in bed, is Mike, stereotypical Italian nickname, Luce Hey, I'm part Italian Mike doesn't know is that lump under his blanket is actually Bumpy's severed head. Let's watch. (laughs) Bumpy, no! (laughs) It can't be true! (laughs) Sorry, that was a different sequel. (laughs) Very different. (laughs) Bumpy strikes back. (laughs) (laughs) Now, was it the return of the Bumpy or the revenge of the Bumpy? Yeah, well, you're going to find out. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) the show so but first trivia yeah i i've had i'm gonna have to pare down because there's a lot about this movie there is because this is a lot of movie (laughs) yes you thought the last one was long yes i did (laughs) yeah last one just was just five two two hours 55 minutes this one's three hours 22 minutes (laughs) did you love the intermission they threw in there yeah yeah and all right intermission starts and it's over (laughs) yeah hope you made Uh, the the budget for this the budget for this was 13 million dollars all of which you can see went to the cast Mm. worldwide gross was 48 million successful Mm. but not insane hmm now, the early buzz on the original Godfather in 1972 was so positive that a sequel was planned before they had even finished filming the first one. Hmm. And this sequel, this was voted the seventh greatest film of all time by Entertainment Weekly, also being the uh, most highly ranked sequel on the list and only six rankings behind its predecessor. Hmm. Uh, this was the first sequel to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. You know what the second was? And it's the uh, and it? so far the only other one as of twenty twenty. The the sequel to Win Best Picture was Return of the King, wasn't it? That is absolutely right. Now, Francis Ford Coppola had I think we talked a little bit, a um difficult time of things with uh, Paramount while making The Godfather. He was almost fired like eleven times from the movie. <laughs> and uh Paramount really, really wanted him back. So they gave him a Mercedes-Benz limo as a reward for the success of The Godfather and as a little, come on, do a sequel. 
He agreed on several conditions. The sequel had to be interconnected with the first film, with the intention of later showing them together. You see that? Five, what is that, seven hours of Godfather? That's just mean. (laughs) But you could see how it would work. Uh, He also, he would be allowed to direct his own script of The Conversation, not a widely well-known movie, but actually a really good, if kind of disturbing movie about surveillance, uh, that he'd be allowed to direct a production for the San Francisco Opera. Huh? <laughs> and that he'd be allowed to write the screenplay for The Great Gatsby in 1974. Hate opera, love polka. <laughs> yep. All prior to production for the sequel for a Christmas 74 release. Basically, I think he was just going, and and I want to I want a car and I want to write an opera and um um And I, I want, want a pony. To, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, Robert De Niro, by the way, had spent four months learning to speak Sicilian in order to play Vito Corleone. Mm. Almost all of the dialogue that his character speaks in the film was in Sicilian. And to prepare for this role, he lived in Sicily for three months. Hmm pretty serious now this claims to be based on the novel by mario puzzo the same way the first movie was except only the scenes about the young vito corleone have any basis in the book Hmm. there's only one chapter in the book that's devoted to vito's youth and young adulthood the whole story with michael and his family in las vegas that's entirely unique to the film huh yeah this also affected what it could be uh, nominated for but i'll get that get to that Hmm. uh when little Vito arrives at Ellis Island, I didn't know what this meant I, until I, re- I looked this up. He's marked with a little circled X. You know, they write it on, on a, with a piece of chalk on his clothing, an X with a circle. I thought I it meant he was a pirate. That, no, no. <laughs> no the, if they're marked like that, the inspe- it meant the inspector thought they had a mental defect of some kind. Oh, well, he supposedly didn't talk. We only see him sing. Yeah. And uh, he's, I mean, his mother... That, you know, thanks a lot, Mom. Because <laughs> says he's you know, he's slow witted, he's weak, he's dumb. <laughs> like, oh, well, thank you, Ma. Oh, you know his son Fredo. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it comes later. Yeah. Uh, production almost ended before it began, because Al Pacino's lawyers told Francis Ford Coppola he had real misgivings with the script, and it decided not to do it. <gasps> Coppola spent an entire night rewriting the whole script. Before giving it to Pacino, Pacino said, yeah, okay. <laughs> and uh, I'll take that uh, Mercedes thing, and I'll take yeah. that pony, and I'll Pac- take that... <laughs> Pacino was kind of a problem throughout the whole um, production. He demanded a huge salary, big script rewrites. He all he complained about Coppola's slow pace, kept yelling, Serpico only took 19 days! And he kept threatening to quit. Wow. Yeah. Now, Marlon Brando... There's that flashback at the end with the family. He was supposed to show up for that. He was supposed to be there for a cameo at the end of the film, but because he felt he was so badly treated by Paramount during the Godfather filming, he didn't show up for shooting the day it was supposed to be filmed, so they rewrote the scene without him. Huh. I kind of wondered about that. It's like, well, you got everybody else, and I don't think this is a scene from the actual first movie, so... Nope, nope. Ah, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hyman Roth's character is loosely based on the real-life mobster Meyer Lansky, who was often has been considered the most successful gangster in American history. He was the head of the Jewish Mafia. The guy who worked with uh, uh, Bugsy Siegel. Okay. 
he was still alive, by the way, when the film was made. Oops. <laughs> Lee Strasberg, the veteran actor who played him, yep. one night he gets a phone call, it's Meyer Lansky. And Lansky just said, oh, I couldn't have made me more sympathetic. After all, I am a grandfather. <laughs> That, I am sorry, I, I have a lot of respect for that Lee Strasberg apparently did, was reported not to have crapped himself. Because, <laughs> because Meyer Lansky called me up, that would be my response. Yikes. He okay. actually came out of retirement to play Hyman Roth after a specific request from Al Pacino. He didn't want to do it, but he sat in on a 45-minute with Francis Ford Coppola's father, Carmine Coppola, and I guess Carmine made him an offer he couldn't refuse, and he did the, he did the uh, part. Okay. There was a big debate over whether De Niro should grow a mustache for the scene when young Vito is a few years older. De Niro couldn't decide, so in the end he flipped a coin. That was it. <laughs> is that how much he paid for the mustache? I'm just uh, kidding. Nah. <laughs> and for the scenes when he goes back to Sicily, he actually, you know, and this is something De Niro loves to do, he gained weight for the part, and he actually wore a smaller version of the dental appliance that Marlon Brando wore in the first film. Oh. That made him so incomprehensible. Okay. The uh, the mobster who tries who almost kills Frankie Pentangeli in the bar. Mm -hmm. Do you recognize him? That's Danny Aiello. Yeah, he was in my notes. It's like, yeah. oh, I blinked and I think I saw Danny Aiello. So. Yeah, and he has one line. The line is Michael Corleone says hello. That line was not in the script. He ad libbed it. Oh. And Coppola loved it. And asked him to do it again in all the retakes. Later on, Aiello claimed he was so nervous to work with Coppola, he didn't hear himself say the line. And he has to this day, he doesn't know why he said it. Oh. It just came out. Well, that's all right, because he'd uh, redeem himself in Hudson Hawk. But, oh, you know. Yes, <laughs> yes you can think of this as the first appearance of Johnny Five-Tone. Sure. Uh, uh, Coppola and Puzzo won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. Even though half the script was adapted and half was original. I think it was just a chapter, right? No, yeah. Well, uh, the uh, Writers Guild of America rules decree that any screenplay for a sequel is a screenplay adapted from another source. So even that one chapter, that was enough. Oh. Yeah. In the sequence in Cuba, the golden, the salt, the gold telephone that's presented to uh, the dictator Batista. Yeah, that's in my notes. Yeah, that's based on a real thing. That's a real event. Yeah, you could actually the phone wasn't. Well, no, you can actually see the gold-plated, it's not solid gold, uh, telephone in Havana's Museum of the Revolution, which mm. was formerly Batista's presidential palace. Mm. The replica made for the movie looks pretty much like the original. <laughs> yeah. I'd uh, like to put the words pretty much in yeah. quotes, if I may, uh, Alex, for 200. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you remember at the very beginning we see Connie show up at... Uh, Anthony's confirmation party with her boyfriend, Merle Johnson. Okay. Merle Johnson in this was played by 50s heartthrob Troy Donahue, <laughs> whose real name is Merle Johnson. Ah. <laughs> oh, very weird metatextual moment there. Yeah, well, that's okay. We won't be hearing much out of either of them for not, any Not a time. whole lot. Yeah. Uh, as a, just an interesting part, the word mafia is only spoken, is never heard. It's never spoken in the first Godfather, and it's only heard three times in this film, and it's during the Senate hearings. 
I wonder if the word Godfather was heard in the first movie, because we certainly hear it a number of times here. Oh, no, we do. Because, uh, mm. Even right in the early scenes at the wedding, when the guy comes to see Don Corleone, and he refers to him as Godfather. You mean Vito Scotti? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love Vito Scotti. I just don't know if I would have chosen him for that role. Yeah, well. It's like... Eh, hey, I know you. Weren't you the Japanese sailor in that Gilligan show? <laughs> you were Columbo, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the or- originally, Kay was supposed to have actually have a miscarriage, not an abortion. It was Talia Shire's idea that she should have an abortion instead as the ultimate way to hurt Michael. <sighs> Coppola thought this was such a brilliant idea. He actually wrote the scene where she tearfully asks Michael to forgive Fredo uh, and to thank her. Huh. He, that scene wasn't in there. She didn't get much dialogue. He wrote her that scene as a thank you. Mm. There was also the shooting script included a scene with an older, diabetic Michael talking with an 18-year-old Anthony, his son. But the scene was cut. The discarded scene also included Connie saying that Fredo drowned in the lake. Mm. Yeah, these ideas, they eventually used them in another movie that came later that we will not speak of. <laughs> uh, one last thing. I hadn't noticed this, but the presence of oranges in all three Godfather movies, uh, I'm sorry, two Godfather movies, (laughs) indicates that a death or an assassination attempt will soon happen. When the senator is framed for murder after he's played with oranges in the the Corleone house, Johnny Ola brings an orange into Michael's office before the attempt on Michael's life, Don Fanucci eats an orange just before he's gunned down, and Michael is eating an orange while plotting to kill Hyman Roth. I think Vito, wasn't Vito eating one right before he got shot in the first film? Yes, yes, he's at a fruit stand. That's yeah. right. Maybe and he also, that. that's how he dies. He Well, right, he dies right after eating and playing with oranges with his grandson. Yep. In that yeah. very strange scene where he's got the orange peel in, uh, covering his, his teeth. Yep. And it's yep. like, ah! <laughs> very weird sequence. Well, that's uh, most of the uh, trivia I have. There's some that I'll work into the notes, but uh, there's a ton of stuff about this and about the filming, but... I think that's enough. So, we get on to the plot. The sequel to Francis Ford Coppola's masterwork, The Godfather, The Godfather 2 continues to follow the criminal and personal exploits of the the Corleone family, both in the film's present and the film's past. We see how Michael, now the most powerful member of the mafia, which doesn't exist, deals (laughs) with his enemies, his family, and those who are both, as he tries to expand his empire in ways his father never imagined. We also three see, through Robert De Niro-flavored flashbacks, how young Vito Andolini left the village of Corleone, came to America, and rose to power in New York's Little Italy and beyond. That's all I'm doing to sum up, because this is a friggin' three-and-a-half-hour movie. The Lowdown. You know, a lot of people don't know this, Max, but my favorite flavor of cake is Robert De Niro. <laughs> mm, it is. T- that's some tasty cooking. Mmm, beefcake. <laughs> Yep. Um, yeah, I, I think you did this as well, but uh, when I went to watch this, it was listed as the Coppola Restoration, which um, apparently is a digitally restored version of the movie done in 2008 for the Blu-ray release. Um, now, Max and I usually do not compare notes before we start the show, but we yeah. kind of mentioned this, and you said that it had something to do with um, lightening some scenes so humans could actually see them? Yeah, there are a lot of scenes, and I think I have the older version that are very dark, and it's kind of hard to see who's talking. Ah. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, it was it was dark in a lot of places, but I didn't, I don't think I had trouble telling who was talking. Except when somebody was about to die, then I wasn't quite sure, but... Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, early on, uh, and I, to be fair, I made the note, and I don't remember exactly when this takes place. I think it's actually in... Because we start off with uh, the kid, right? We start off right. with... Yep, we start yeah. off with little, little Vito. One Poor sadly, little dumb-witted Vito. <laughs> His oh. mom says that. Right? Yeah, He's well, weak. You know. He is dumb-witted. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. Um, I know you're trying to keep me from getting murdered, but thanks a lot. And I think it's Don, what's his name? The guy who ends up killing everybody. Don uh, Chichu, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, when I saw him, my note was, ah, Jackie Gleason, <laughs> how nice to see you. Because <laughs> he has that little mustache. And, yeah. Yeah. How sweet it is. <laughs> oh, yes, turd brain. Um, <laughs> uh, slow of mouth and wit. Um, yeah, I, I knew nothing about this movie. I'd seen uh, the first one only because we did this show. Not because I had any, any reason not to see it. I just hadn't. And if, you know, admittedly I had known it was three hours and 22 minutes, <laughs> I might have done something like, oh, I don't know, text my best friend something like, three hours and 22 minutes? I'm dying! I got a text just like that. <laughs> did you really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I gotta say, it doesn't feel that long. The pacing of this movie is astonishing. Well, I have a question for you. Did you watch it all at once? I did not. I watched... See, I had it based off of two DVDs, and the first one was uh, about two hours and ten minutes, and I watched that one night, and the second one was an hour and 14 minutes, and I watched that the next night. The, fir the first one was how long? Uh, about two hours and ten minutes. So we were about 20 minutes off. I had stopped at an hour 50, which was uh. right... We were switching back. I think it was just as Vito was about to start getting things done in New York. Um, Probably. The... I mainly... Rem yeah, it was the first... After about the first 14 minutes, uh, and this, um, my second night, it starts at the Senate hearings. By the way, those Senate hearings, that's based on several real events. I wondered if they were. Oh, yeah. They were in in uh, the 1950s, I think it was... Well, the first one was 1950-51, which was just the Senate hearing on organized crime. They didn't have a lot of people up, but this was... This was one of the most massively televised, this was the first really massively televised political event. Mm. And it drew in tens of, it was the most highly rated TV show in history. Okay, you know, there were about four TV shows at that <laughs> point. It's not saying a lot, but it was insanely popular. It said this is what inspired that guy Wortham to write uh, Seduction oh. of the Innocent because he, mm. he wanted to be on TV. He wanted to be in a Senate hearing about comic books. But <laughs> this specific one, this, I think, is much more based on, in 1963, there were what they called the Valachi hearings, or the McClellan hearings. Uh, basically, they got an actual mob informant, a low-level guy named Valachi, to squeal on everybody. Hmm. Wasn't there something called the Valachi Papers? Yes, that's okay. it. Okay, okay. That I'd heard, it sounded familiar. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it had the feel of like being based on something real. And of course, that's way towards the end of the film. Um, yeah. It was actually very surprising in a way, because all of Godfather 1 and most of Godfather 2, we're only dealing with stuff that's happening in and around the family, stuff that's, that relates to them, uh, their relationships, their business dealings, etc., etc. And suddenly, oh yeah, the rest of the world's here too. <laughs> I think um, that was a big thing about how what Michael was doing, because Don Corleone, Vito, was perfectly happy to just keep his uh, operations largely in New York. Right. And Michael, he had his own plans. That whole thing, by the way, about the mob taking over Havana, that's also based on reality. That really happened. They were moving in. They wanted, they came this close 
to taking over an entire country. If only they had done it, say, a year earlier. Because I checked on this, because they say Cuba 1958 or Havana 1958. And they're partying. It's it's New Year's Eve, so it's 1958-1959. And even as we get there, and they're driving through town to get to the, you know, Palace of El Presidente or whatever, I'm just like... Things feel funny. They're talking. They, they we see a scene with some you know supposed insurgents and stuff, and I'm just like, I just wonder. Maybe I'll just take a quick look. Oh, Castro's going to take over in '59. Oh, this isn't going to go well. Yeah, you notice they don't mention Castro. They just no. talk about the guerrillas. Right. Right. But yeah, but, that is when Castro took over. If only he'd gotten that position on the, on the Mets or the Yankees when he tried out for it. Who knows what would have happened. <laughs> Yeah, he like was, Hitler he was a paint, well, Hitler in his painting, right? Yeah, Maybe exactly. Into art schools. Uh, I cannot get the trees right. I will kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's what it was. Um, so, thank you, Eddie Izzard. Um, now that particular scene. So, well, it's 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 a, not even just a scene. It's it's a whole thing because that's yeah. where um, we see what they're talking about. Like you said, you know, Michael's going for something much bigger than you know. I want to own all the fruit stands in in New York. Um, especially the ones that sell oranges, apparently. Um, so we get to Cuba, and, and you know, again, if you have any knowledge, even like mine, scant uh, knowledge of what was going on in Cuba in the fifties, you're just like, this eh, something's not right. But wait, you want to own a country? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not a big one, but still, they uh, could have done it. It's not not simply that it, it wasn't the size; it was the position. As he keep probably. as Hyman Roth keeps stressing, it's ninety miles from the U.S. coast. Yep. They could they were going to like repeal all extradition treaties. Criminals could go there and not be extradited back to the US. Yeah. It, it who knows what would have happened, but yeah, bad timing. Yeah. And um, I, even that sequence where they're on the rooftop and they're literally they have a cake in the shape of Cuba and they are literally carving up Cuba. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, yeah that and huh, it was just it was a weird sequence for me um, because I knew it was, you know, potentially coming. I didn't know if they were going to address it in the movie, and they kind of do. Um, they kind of don't because, like you said, they don't mention Castro, which no, you know, but whatever. they mention the revolution. You know, the, well, know, they don't just mention it because it kind of shows. Yeah, up we and see the party. it. And they they basically have to run. It's sort of an early version of the last days of Saigon as they're all trying to get out of the country. Yeah, but something they did that I was really surprised at is the party is breaking up because. Uh, hey, the, the gorillas are here. Um, and Michael, you see him leave early. Um, whether he's got pre-knowledge of what's yeah. actually coming down or not, or he's just like the hackles on the back of his neck are going up, but he gets out early. But even still, and he's in his car, his obviously not part of the revolution car, heading towards the airport, they are surrounded by people. And it's a very tense moment. And we see a plane, and it looks like it's about ready to take off. And it's like, crap, we know he's not on the plane. And then they cut to Nevada, and there he is, and he's fine. Like, they literally do nothing with the tension. And I was like, that's weird. That didn't bother me, because, again, that just gave me the sense of how in control Michael always is. And how he knew. Because you notice, when he's driving through that crowd... Well, he's not driving... Well, no, but he's in the car. He's not even looking at the people. There's no. He's not scared. All he's thinking about is the encounter he had with Fredo. Because to him, that's what gets me. I think that's what's so powerful about that. Everything else is just a backdrop to the tragedy in his family when he realizes 
He knows there's somebody in his family who has been setting him up. Someone's been feeding information. There's a mole. We find this out er right in like one of the very early scenes. Someone tries to kill him in his house. Someone left the drapes open in his bedroom window. And we've had hints of it. Uh, through, through the movie, Fredo gets this weird phone call. He, somebody named Johnny. And through it, he finally, in, while he's in Cuba, Michael realizes his own big brother, Fredo, has betrayed him. Mm. And there is that iconic scene in the party. It's a New Year's party. Everyone's in their finery. And he just walks over to Fredo. He grabs him by the face. He kisses him, which I believe is La Basca, La Basca de Muerto, the kiss of death. It's a Sicilian thing. You kiss someone, you're basically telling them you're going to kill them. And he oh. kisses him and he says, I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. And I, I found a lot of that part of the plot confusing. Really? And part of the problem is Danny Aiello. So in my notes, I'm like, because it looks like what happens is he goes to Roth. And all we hear about from Roth, we hear from uh, Frankie Pentangelis. Mm-hmm. Um, we hear how he doesn't want to buckle under... Um, the Risotto brothers. Mm-hmm. The Risotto brother, Risotto, R- Risotto. R- Risotto. Uh, I know one of them is, is a rice in pasta dish. Yes. One of them isn't. Uh, <laughs> I think it's the Risotto brothers. Yeah. And he starts talking about, I don't want to deal with that that Jew. Why are we buckling under this Jew um, gangster? Uh-huh. And uh, Michael says, I've you know been doing business with him for a long time, blah, 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 blah. And so initially, it sounds like what has happened is that or I get the implication that um, Frankie Pentangelis has done something to screw up the deal because he doesn't want to deal with the Rosati brothers or Hyman Roth. And then later, Michael comes to him and says, no, no, I know it's Roth. And then he goes to Roth and says, I know it's somebody else. Yeah, he's playing them off. Right, but I'm sitting there going, I have no idea who it is. Like, I can't figure it out. <laughs> we're, not, we're not really supposed to. I don't think the audience is supposed to know. That's the thing with Michael. He plays everything really close to the chest. He doesn't trust anybody. He doesn't take anybody into his confidence. including well, Tom, too. Yeah. His, his, uh, his right, stepbrother, stepbrother mm-hmm. Tom, who has been there all the time. And, you know, in the beginning of Godfather, didn't look like um, Robert Duvall, but then later did look like Robert Duvall. <laughs> and now really looks like Robert Duvall. Um, there's even implications that, you know, we get the idea, oh, maybe he is. And I know part of that is the mood suggesting that Michael is more and more paranoid because mm-hmm. he, he is. Yeah. But it was, I I had trouble following it because uh-huh. I'm like, well, because Hyman Roth is not a character we've met before. We don't know anything about him except that Michael's done business with him. Um, and then later we find out, well, actually, there is some kind of a connection with Hyman yeah. Roth. It's just not one we ever would have known otherwise. Mm, right. And unfortunately, it's exceedingly important. Um, so I actually found the whole... Because I believed Michael, and Michael initially says, yeah, uh, it's Roth. Or no, initially he says, yeah, I know, it's it's so-and-so, we're going to go against this guy. And then he goes to Roth and says, no, no, it's actually Frankie Pantangelis. I'm going to take down Frankie Pantangelis. And the next thing that we see is Frankie Pantangelis getting taken down and Danny Aiello saying, Michael Corleone says, hello. And it's like, oh, so this is a hit taken. It's like, wow, uh, this time around, Michael picks a really bad hitman because they don't finish the job. That's the thing. And then you realize it wasn't Michael, it was Roth. And they, they intentionally left him alive. Well, and the sad they thing is... They wanted to turn him on, against Michael. And it worked. But later there's a hit on Roth, and that doesn't go through either. 
Yeah, part of that was the idea Meyer Lansky was supposed to be pretty much invulnerable. He, well, the, so many people tried to kill him, and eventually, if I remember right, it was like liver failure that killed him. He was 83. Hmm. Um, he, that I, whole bit of him being Jack Rubied in the airport, that mm-hmm. did not happen. Not to Mario no, but I gotta say, I thought it worked brilliantly, because when the guy was stepping forward, the guy was the actually the assassin, he's not only dressed exactly like a reporter, but he's got a big smile on his face, like, yep. hey, I'm about to ask you a question, blam, blam, run, run. Yep. Uh, so that, that worked actually very well. Um, if I can interject real quick, I just want to say, this was a lot of De Niro ago. I what would say mean? it's most of De Niro ago. <laughs> but you mean because he's so thin? Well, and also almost unrecognizable. I mean, his face, he has changed so much. I'm not well, saying he's aged badly. years ago. I know, but I was watching this as going, is that De Niro? I know he's in this. Oh, I still think you, he. there's something about his face that is so distinctive. When he and starts he, talking. Yeah, yeah. That's even when he starts doing his expressions, he has certain little expressions, and he actually downplays it a lot in this. It's, it's nice to see him in this. You know, he was up for the part of Vito Corleone in the first movie. Right. But they thought he was too young and he didn't have enough gravitas. <laughs> well, if he was, what, two years younger than he is in this film? Yeah. Yes, he's too young. Yeah. Now, that being said, uh, De Niro right around this time made Raging Bull, which is, I think, one, probably my favorite performance of his. It's a, that's an, oh, this is a great film. It's an amazing um, movie. Uh, in this case, I got to say, I'm not a real fan of most of his performance. Really? And the problem is, is that he starts doing Brando, which, okay, that makes sense, right? Because he's going to become Brando at some point. And then he's not doing Brando. He's doing De Niro. And then he's doing Brando again. Like, the voice is not consistent. That, that uh, you know, I gotta do it, blah, 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 blah. It's not consistent. And I was just like, that's weird <sighs> for him. Because I usually, especially that point in his career, I really expect that. Yeah, I, I didn't have any problem with it. I thought he did a really nice, very understated job. I thought he had the physical mannerisms down the way uh, that matched Brando's. He, even as he got a and I noticed his voice got raspier as he got older. He, he handled that well. He didn't start out that way. He didn't start out talking like that. But the implication is, I don't know, I assumed he was a heavy smoker or some such. He had that little head tilt. Yeah, he had the tilt. Like the sort of like he leans his head back and he's sort of looking under his eyelids a little. He he got that in a couple of times. And then I'm like, oh, oh, whoever that is, is are in trouble. <laughs> yeah. And he had that very, he, he did that same thing of not saying a lot, just doing everything with his face. And when people are talking to him, he just listens. He doesn't say anything until he has to. And he doesn't say more than he has to. No, but he does use one word that seems to carry a lot of fear and weight to it. Do you know what that word was? What? Favor. <laughs> ah, that's a big thing. That was the currency. Well, like the, the initially when he meets the, um, so he's helping out. He he gains a a position in the neighborhood by taking out the local jerk. I'm sorry, the local crime boss. Um, yeah, Don Fenucci, he, the head of the the member of the Black Hand, which by the way is the predecessor of the mafia. And he uh, and he does it very skillfully and anonymously. Like mm-hmm. just one day, you know, Don Fenucci, Ferrucci. Yeah, I believe it's Fenucci uh, with an N. I think Fenucci's a fudge. <laughs> oh, that's Panucci. Sorry. Uh. Um, no, I, I literally forgot. Oh, yeah. that is funny. Uh, <laughs> so uh, he literally takes him out, and then he just starts, you know, being nice to people around the neighborhood and stuff. And one of the first, the first thing he does before he takes out the the uh, this boss is he does a favor for this old woman who's a friend of his wife's. And uh, he goes to speak to this 
Uh, actually, I guess it was after the assassination. Although, yeah, it is, because now he's the big man in the neighborhood. Right. He's, in effect, replaced Don Fenucci. So he goes to speak to the uh, uh, the landlord who's trying to right. kick out this poor old lady. And the because... landlord gives him a lot of attitude, like, who the hell do you think you are? And then he finds out who he is. Well, but he uses that word. Yeah. Like, first he, play, he hands him the money. He's like, look, I'll pay the difference in rent. This will be okay. And you're doing me a favor, and I'll remember it. And when he says that, initially the guy gets pissed, and he hands him. He's like, "I don't want anything to do with you. Get get away from me." Because he's like, "I know you're not as he doesn't know who he is." Yeah. And even though uh, 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 Vito has told him, he's like, oh, "Go talk to people around the neighborhood. They know me." And what happens? We find out later is he does go to talk to people around the neighborhood, and basically comes in and goes, mm, <laughs> "Let me kiss your shoes somewhere. Mm, here, have the money back, and I'll lower rent five. Yep. Did I say five dollars? I meant ten dollars." Yeah. Now he's friggin' terrified because yeah. he knows what uh, Don Vito can do to him. And I don't remember, but uh, was uh, Vito at that point eating an orange? He might have been. I can't I'm remember. Not sh- I don't think so. I, no? I think okay. he's eating a piece of bread. No. Nah. Uh, and how did you um, like Bruno Kirby as the, the young Clemenza? <laughs> yeah, 12-year-old Bruno Kirby? Yep. Uh, oh, he looked like such a baby face in this. And, of course, Clemenza was a big deal in the first movie. He was the guy who teaches, uh, who basically schools Michael on how to assassinate uh, the police captain and the rival well, gang's boss. Well, I was just like, uh, Kirby, Kirby, French is it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think he did... As well as he could. Yeah, you did, I, a, you did okay. He, he's not a main... He doesn't have a lot of character to his character. Well, it's just that it's Bruno Kirby, and he looks like he has not yet started to shave. Yeah, um, yeah. It is nothing against his performance. It's literally just, you know, I'm picturing him from when Harry met Sally or um, City Slickers and stuff like that and trying to, like, this guy? Um, it's like the first time you see Robin Williams do a serious role. You're just waiting for him to explode into laughter, and he doesn't. And you're yeah. like, okay. Um, but yeah, uh, that was, that was an interesting performance. Uh, um, how do you feel about Pacino's performance in this compared to his, that in the Godfather? Cause I know there was a lot of friction because, um, in the first film, Marlon Brando got nominated for best actor and Pacino got nominated for best supporting actor mm-hmm. when he, I think is arguably is in more of the film than, than Brando was. Um, how do you, how do you, and now we know that he basically wanted the girl, the gold watch and everything to yeah. make this movie. That's a deep pretty, pretty much. But, uh, I, I like his performance. I, I like the fact that we start to see cracks in him because he's so controlled in the first movie. He's so calm. He never loses it. And he, only, and there are two or three times in this movie when we see all that anger come out. You see his chin move. It starts when, to vibrate. And I'm like, oh, crap. When, We're, uh... <laughs> when Kay, when, when Diane yeah. Keaton tells him she had an abortion, the look on his face is so damn scary. I'm surprised Diane Keaton didn't run off the set. Because right. it's not just a chin. His eyes do that thing. Yeah. And it's like he's almost demonic in that moment. And that's when you see all that control, all that calm is an act, and that's what's underneath. And I think that there's a lot more depth there than is immediately obvious, because I think that it's not only what she did, which was basically say, I know you wanted another son, and it turns out I was going to have one, but I 
dislike you and I hate this life so much that I killed it before it could be born, which is just, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't know how to respond to that, but it basically, I think on his part, not only it, it the fact that she lost a child, he thought she miscarried and he was like, you know, you must feel terrible. I, you know, I want to make it up to you. Of course, you know, <laughs> yeah, you probably blame me. Right. But yeah. it's also, all of the things that he's doing are for family. And in his case, we see, unlike Vito, where family was this very large group, his family is getting whittled down yeah. further and further and further till it's kind of her and the kids. Because, mm. you know, he can't trust his brother. We know he doesn't really have a lot of respect for his sister. Yeah. Um, and his stepbrother, you know, there is... The relationship is there. complicated because he's yes. not blood. He's not Italian, and he's not really his brother, not physically. No, and there's and actually that another, matters another, to them. There's a, there's that uh, flashback scene where we have all the brothers. We have Santino, and we've got Alfredo, mm -hmm. and we've got Michael. And Michael has just basically said, "Yeah, I've uh, decided to up go to go in with the uh, the Marines." And Tom says, "You know, your your father and I have have talked about your future," and he just looks at him and says. You've been talking to my father about my future. Yeah. And it's like there's this line. It's like Tom is part of the family to Vito. Pro provisionally to everyone else, yeah. Right. And it's it's a huge thing. So although Tom has never actually, that we know of, done anything against the family, there's a part near the end where... Michael's like, I heard you're, you're going to be going out to Vegas and you're going to be living there and taking this job with somebody else. But he and says, Tom, I turned the job down. And he says, you hurt me. I've never done anything disloyal. Yeah. And my feeling is, at that point in the film, he probably hasn't. But now yeah. Michael is so paranoid. Yeah. Because at that point, his wife has already, he's already kicked her out. And he already um, knows that his brother, his, that Fredo has betrayed him. Yeah. So he 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 probably sees betrayal everywhere. And yeah, I think Pacino does an amazing job of conveying that. But I think that things are closing in, right? Yeah. So not only is he pissed at her for the the thing she did to his unborn son, uh, but the fact that she has basically said, "I want nothing more to do with you or anything your family is doing or your business or any of that," and I want to take the kids with you, with me. So she's she's basically saying the reasons for all of these horrible things you're doing, I'm removing those from the equation. And Michael is, I'm going to say more, not even more or less, but by the end of the film, Michael's pretty much alone. He's got his yeah. kids, but even though he doesn't see them that much, they almost are more symbols than they are real people to him. He has his sister, but his sister is there mostly out of need. Uh, and the, her need gets greater because in the beginning of the film she's just like I don't need you give me money oh, I'm gonna God. go off marry I'm gonna go marry Troy Donahue <laughs> that that was one of the moments when he's talking to her and he just says you marry this man you will disappoint me mm -hmm. like yeah yeah that would stop me from marrying somebody I'm sorry Michael Corleone says that Yeesh. it's so understated and so menacing. But yeah, no, yeah. she's come back because she doesn't have any anywhere else to go. And there's also the sense that she's finally... Because one of the reasons she's probably pissed at Michael is, you know, he had her husband killed in mm -hmm. the first movie. Carlo, yeah. who we see Santino setting her up with in the at the end in the flashback. Yeah, Santino. Uh, <laughs> well, his, uh, his end was certainly uh, photogenic. <laughs> and poor Fredo... Yes, he's, you know, he, he betrays the family, but he's so pitiful. That that speech, you know, 
I'm I'm smart. I'm not dumb like everybody says. And of course, the entire audience is going, like, yeah. "Okay, yeah, <laughs> oh, 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 honey, no." <laughs> so, what did you think of the little sequence where we see Fredo as a child and he has pneumonia? Are you, do you wonder if that's something that they tried to? put in to suggest that that's where alfredo's weakness comes from because no, he's I, I think it was just showing the fact that fredo has always been a problem he's been mm-hmm. more of a problem than the other kids okay i don't i don't think that suggests that's why he might have been skinny or weaker than the others a lot of kids uh, had pneumonia back then and got over it and you know grew fine obviously he was just as they say the weak stick uh, real quick, another piece of uh, medical trivia. Yeah. Um, so I wondered, too, you said you wondered about the little number um, that was stapled to Vito when he came over to Ellis Island. Yeah. I was like, why are they checking under eyelids? What's with that? So actually, they were checking for something called trachoma, huh. which is a, a cause of, uh, actually, apparently a very treatable cause of blindness that uh, will affect both eyes and is highly contagious. Oh, I didn't um, know that. I, I thought they just checked. I didn't know about the eyes. I thought they were just checking for lice. Well, no, because they, they have this like this little hook and they're lifting up yeah. people's eyelids and looking. Huh. And he actually gets quarantined for a short while. And that's when he sings um, for, you know, reasons. Uh, maybe stuff. I'm not sure. Uh, but I just, I just wanted to know because it was like, what's with that? And it felt like one of those historically accurate things that I just didn't understand. And it turned out it was one of those historically accurate things that I didn't mm. understand. Um, but there you go. Um, uh, I, I also... Love, hmm? I was to say, I love the substitution of UT&T, because of course if you say AT&T, you get sued. <laughs> oh, I thought uh, it was IT&T. It was later. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I mean, they, I thought they said IT&T when they were around the table. Oh, all right. In Cuba, it was UT&T, and uh, then at the, the, the Senate subcommittee hearing, it was IT&T. IT&T. Ah, okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, good. I, I also, I love um, Hymenroth's speech when he's talking to Michael and he's basically obliquely explaining why he hates him. He's talking mm. about Mo Green. Right. And he's talking about the guy <laughs> who basically created Las Vegas, which, that's Bugsy Siegel, by the way, almost word for word, even they got down to getting shot in the eye. Right. But, uh... I, of course, thought it was Mo Fuzz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that, <laughs> that, that, that line, though... This is the business we have chosen. That's uh, me. That, I, that that's like the you could have been Senator Corleone, Governor Corleone of this movie. This is the business we have chosen. That's up there with it's business, and you're taking it personal. Well, and who ended up doing that? Yeah, right. Oh yeah, because Roth. Uh, here's the thing. So when Michael killed. It was Michael. No, was it who killed Mo Green in the first film? Uh, one of Michael's people. Okay, because I knew it wasn't the guy in the restaurant. That was a whole other thing. No, um, there literally was nothing personal. They had no idea that there was any connection to to Hyman Roth at that point, or perhaps even that there was a Hyman Roth at that point. So Hyman Roth goes through these incredible machinations to basically get back at Michael Corleone, mm. and. My my feeling of that is if you had kept to your what you said was the center of your belief, which is it's this is business, it's not personal, things would have worked out fine for everybody. Yeah, for everyone you. would have made money, everyone would have won. Except the Castro thing. But but, th- that, but that's a whole thing. It's a big thing in this movie is the vendetta. Yeah. The revenge. Even we see Vito 
he goes back to the town of Corleone. <laughs> oh, however many years later, and there's Don Ciccio or Ciccio, <laughs> who's what or what's left of it, this yeah. half blind and deaf old man, and he still goes back to kill him. Yeah. Why? I mean, I know why in the narrative, but yeah, really, did that really it, give you some satisfaction to basically chop the last five minutes off the guy's life? Probably. Mm. The thing that killed me is if the guy was still considered a Don in any way, shape, or form, apparently Tom and Jerry are his only guards, and yeah. they're not really paying much attention. <laughs> nope. Because um, they managed to shoot one guy in the leg, and that was it. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm sure that was meant to help illustrate Vito's character a little yeah. better, and I guess um, by, you know, what's the word I want? Uh we're going to pause here while Mike tries to think of the word he wants. <laughs> Have I mentioned Sanka this week? <laughs> Maybe that would clear my mind. While, um, while you're waiting, why not go watch Road Warfare 3? <laughs> yeah, Bumpy loves it. He gives it three hooves up. Uh, <laughs> he fell over. Um, I guess by means of of, of, of tradition yeah. or or exposure, this is explaining Michael's character. Oh, I see. Um, or yeah, yeah, by metaphor or some such. Yeah, it's explaining the it's explaining the character of a lot of them in this. The idea that nobody ever lets go of anything. Yeah, and that anything done to you or to the family, that's gonna follow you. Yeah, um, I mean that I, they, you see that with Senator Geary at the beginning uh, when, when he's as soon as he showed up. My first note was ah, bye bye, Senator. <laughs> God, when he's in there talking to Michael and he's saying, talking about, you know, you, you greasy-haired Italians and your filthy family, and you just see Michael's face changes just a little and basically says, you can say whatever you want about me, but, you know, you do not disrespect my family. Do not. Oh, speak. and by the way, you can't say anything you want about me either. Just, you know. Yeah, <laughs> or you can say what you want, but you're really going to regret it, and... To uh, quote our pal Patton, he can't see murder six inches from his face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we see some really, really haunting scenes with the senator later on. In that was so house. odd, though. because at, for my, The first time I saw it, I thought, oh, wow, they like got him drunk and sent him to this, this whorehouse and uh, got him in the situation. Then we realized, oh, he's done this before. This is, they may have set him, framed him for the murder of that right. particular prostitute. But he said, we've done this before. Right, our little games. Our little games. And so if you, I thought, wow, that's even more chilling. They watched him. They took a situation that they knew, and they just pushed it a little farther. Right. Well, like he says specifically, I woke up and he didn't know what happened. Yeah. Obviously, they drugged his drink. Of course. Then, did you notice oh. how... Um, how shall I say this? Unaffected the rest of the employees of the oh, yeah. establishment were. Yeah. Uh, there goes another one. Well, you know. Uh, yeah, another I murder. I didn't like Judy that much anyway. Another murder. Uh, huh, what are you going to do? Yeah, there's a lot of nice people in this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, so we've got some... Uh, you remember in our, our rom-com series, which was, oof, weeks ago now, <laughs> or, well, days, yes. um, we had some, uh, yeah, some, some questions that yeah. we asked. Uh, did, did we come up with any questions uh, for this? We did. Uh, you, did. you did. I liked uh, oh. the ones you had. And uh, let me oh, start okay. out with asking uh, you, you one of the ones that you came up with, which is, does this sequel feel natural? Does it feel organic? 
But sometimes, and we'll talk about this, there are different kinds of sequels. Oh, and yes. We'll, we'll get to that. But does this, does this feel natural? For me, yes and no. Yeah. So uh, one of my notes was, is this going to be the Empire Strikes Back of the series? And of course, <laughs> you would argue no, because there is no third film. That's right, <laughs> where... there is not. <laughs> Unfortunately, Hollywood would disagree Shut with up. you. <laughs> and I haven't Lies. seen the third film. <laughs> so for me, the trouble I had with the naturalness of this is at the end of the first film what happens is we suddenly see michael in a position that he was never meant to be in um you might even say thrust into a position he was never meant to be in um because fredo certainly wasn't gonna uh, to <laughs> lead the family when santino was taken down as brutally as possible <laughs> but we see that what is perceived as a sudden weakness in the corleone family uh, Michael turns around and in one fell swoop tells everybody, no, that's not how it's going to be. This film, we and that's he ends the film basically on this amazing movement of strength. Um, we see poor Abe Vigoda is sent off to Barney Miller without, yep. any, <laughs> without, any, without any dessert. Uh, yep. um, in a great scene where he's basically like, hey, for old time's sake, could you basically not tie my feet to that cement and throw me in the lake? And they're like, can't, can't do it, Sal. Yeah. Can't do it. But we see Michael's on top. He is ruthless. Things are going to happen. He's in a strong position. Things he, are where he they're supposed to be. He is the godfather. He is the new godfather. Right. And actually, in some way, in ways that his father hadn't even been. Yeah. Because Vito was like, you don't mess with Vito. But there was a softness to Vito that does not seem to be in Michael. Vito was more sentimental. Yeah, definitely. You got the feeling he was better with the children. He was nicer to people. Michael, not so much. In this film, I think, time-wise, it feels like, I guess it's a few years after the last one. I don't yeah. remember exactly how many years. But basically, it's not a, a, a position of power. It's not a position of strength. He's wielding this giant sledgehammer, but he doesn't feel in control. Um, so in... And then we also get the, the, the flashbacks for Vito, and I'm not sure how necessary they are. Oh, I like the narrative. Uh, I didn't dislike it. I'm just not sure how much it added to the story. Um, we It's basically like, well, we're going to tell you how Vito works. Oh, you mean the guy who died in the first film? Okay. And it's like, I almost wonder if it would have made more sense to show that in the first film. Hmm. I don't know. I gotta say, uh, I think it worked really well. And the idea here, I think the thing with Vito shows how different he and Michael were. Vito did what he did because he thought it was necessary. He was like, he got rid of Don Fenucci because Fenucci he thought was bad for the neighborhood. He said, why is, why is he doing this? Why, we're all Italians here. We're all in effect family. Mm. He, why is he uh, hurting us? Why is he bullying and so he removes him, and he. But he's smart enough to know you can't leave a vacuum. Someone else will move in. So it's got to be me. It's got to be someone who cares. Well, he removes him, but only when something finally happens. Yeah, when he finally realizes he has to do this, or you know, he's going to be, you know, in hock to him forever. Well, I think it's really more a case of he's no longer being left alone. 
Ferrucci yeah. singles him out and says, yeah. oh, I heard you did a job. You should give me money. It's an insult. I'll take it. But this yeah. time I let it go. But and, and you can see De Niro sitting there going, if you touch me one more time, your arm comes off up to the shoulder. Uh, but not right now because I'm plotting. Yeah, he's too <laughs> smart for that. He doesn't lose his temper. But he show, but what I think the, the difference is what Vito does, he does for his family and for his neighborhood. Right. He's not doing it because he wants power. Michael wants power. I get the feeling Michael wants power because that's the only way he thinks he'll be safe. Is that well, he has to kill all of his enemies. He has to destroy them. He has to become the strongest. The interesting thing you were talking about in the family, in a lot of ways, of the three sons, Michael is the best choice for Godfather. Santino well, was strong... But he was headstrong. He was incredibly emotional, and he had a vicious temper, yeah. and he didn't think things through. He was all about impulse. He wouldn't have lasted five minutes. Fredo, come on. Yeah. But well, Fredo Michael was how good he would be. Yeah. <laughs> Michael was the best choice. He was the smartest. And Michael now kills everyone who gets in the way of him killing, killing everyone. everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's the ultimate gangster in a lot of ways. Uh, I. I. I... I don't think it was not a continuation. I'm just well. Let's. I'm going to ask the second question. That we, these questions are ones we're going to apply to all of the films we're choosing for this series. Yeah. The second question is: Does this sequel surpass the original, and does it need to? Uh, I would say no and no. Okay. I think it's as good. I don't really. I've heard people say it's better. That's one of the things when you look at the lists of sequels that are better than the original. And this does happen, and we're going to run into some of those. <laughs> not as many as we'd like. <laughs> no, not as many, because honestly, that's pretty damn rare. Yes. Uh, I think it's as good. I don't think it's better. I liked the first one. It's more self-contained. It covers... I like the smaller scale of the first one. Mm-hmm. I like the sense of the family and the community and the fact that it was, this is this part of New York. This is New York. This is what we control. Uh, I think this was more ambitious, I think it fits the first, but I, I don't think it's better, and I don't think it needed to be. The first one was a goddamn masterpiece, mm-hmm. and this one uh, is uh, is amazing because it's as good. It doesn't have to be better. What about you? What'd you think? I do not think it surpasses the original. Does it need to? I think that depends. So uh, let's we're getting close to the end, but we we I want to bring this up during the first of the shows for this series. Anyway, there's different types of sequels, right? I can think of three general, very broad types. There's okay. the type of sequel where it's like, oh, uh, that was successful. We should we, we should have more of that. Yeah, the cash grab, yep. The second is one where it is based on a piece of pre-existing literature or something. Some other medium, been, yeah. That's been written out. In some way, there's a larger story, and it's like, well, two hours isn't going to do it. Uh, Lord of the Rings is a perfect example of that, right? Harry had, Potter, yeah. Yes, eventually. <laughs> I think the movies start coming out before the books were done. I don't I remember, probably. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then the third type, I am suddenly forgetting because stupid oh. and old. <laughs> I only I thought, remember the two. There was the, uh, the cash grab... The, the, and then, well, there's also, uh, there's the na- the natural progression, the one that was planned. That um, was not necessarily adapted, but... Uh, oh, I know. There's the third type is the type that's more like the Marvel movies, where... Oh, it's an effect a not, chapter. 
Yeah, they're not direct sequels. It wasn't like, oh, this happens exactly now and then this happens two days later. It's, we've got a bigger story and we're going to fill stuff mm. in. So they're connected, but they're not directly proceeding. And this one, I think, is pretty... This one, I'm not sure, because you said, uh, and I was hoping you were going to find this for the trivia, that they had started deciding we're going to do a sequel. Yeah. Because when I saw the first film, I did not get a sequel big vibe off it at all. No. This, this fil- the first film is uh, very self-contained and doesn't mm-hmm. really call for one, but it's so interesting that I could see people going, yeah, I'd like to see what happens next. I want to see what, what happens when Michael is the godfather. But how about this film? Does this film feels feel like there's expected to be a sequel after it? To I'm it? not saying whether there was one or not. <laughs> no, I thought this. I again like the first one. I think this film uh, ends very in a very satisfying manner and doesn't in any way need a sequel and never should have one. And anyone who says there's one should be punched. <laughs> See, I actually disagree. There, it feels yeah. to me very much like now, Michael, you're in a position. Now, what are you going to do? Because he's basically cut off pretty much everybody. Like, Tom is not... I don't think Tom's going to cross him, because Tom's not that dumb. But Tom doesn't really want to be around him. Um, his kids, it seems like his son likes him. His daughter, we can't tell. She There's literally no character there. Um, the son doesn't really... I don't even think he has any lines. Um, yeah, yeah, he does. Remember, he's, when uh, after the shooting, he says, I've got to go away, and, and the, I've got to do some business. And it's, I think it's very touching. Anthony says, I could help. Oh, that's right. Okay. So I think that there's a connection between him and his son. But that's kind of it. Like, people work for him, and they're not, you know, again, not dumb enough to go, ah, the heck with Michael Corleone. But as far as him having anyone who's actually considered family, it's that's kind of it. So yeah, now they, what? They make the, and, you know, much as I joke about wanting to pretend that doesn't exist, you know, 1990, they did do a Godfather 3, and Coppola did it. Pacino came back, Diane Keaton. Oh, was that late? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. 16 years. 16 huh? years, and okay. it shows. Okay. And it's, again, I only saw it once, and that was more than enough. I don't think it, I think it was completely unnecessary. I think it was done very badly. And Ms. Coppola, I am really sorry, but you're not an actor. She plays Michael's daughter. Okay. Yeah. Mm. And I don't remember who plays the son. His son's in it. Some cousin is in it. The... I prefer watching her films that she. Yeah, directs. she is a terrific director. That's she's she belongs on the other side of the camera. She, it's not like she's terrible. It's not like she, you know she's not Tommy Wiseau here. <laughs> you tell me a pod. Tell me a pod, Vito. <laughs> but uh, she's just not very good, and unfortunately, she's also noticeably not as good as a lot of the other actors in the movie who at least make an effort. But also in in 1990, Pacino is being full on Pacino. There's no restraint like there is. In, in, <laughs> but any, anyway, yeah. that okay. mo- that one is a sequel. I, that was I think uh, utterly unnecessary. I think this one works. I think this one works great as a, as a sequel and as its own movie. But we're going to be seeing other sorts uh, of yes. these sort of these sequels. Yes, there are the sequels where it's inherent in the movie. There are sequels where the movie cries out for a sequel. There are sequels where it's just, well, this made money, which is pretty much every movie out now. Those are the movies where the producers cry out for a sequel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so it's, I will grant this one the, it was meant to be 
from the beginning kind of sequel since you said that they were planning on it before they finished filming yeah. the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, again, I at the end of the first one, I didn't feel like there was anything saying there should be another movie. This no. one to me feels like we don't, it's it's much more questionable in the ending. It doesn't feel like an ending so much as we don't, we literally don't know where he's going next. Yeah. But that's, that's It's not as you, neatly wrapped up, but you know, that no. can be good or bad. Speaking but, of wrapping up, uh, yeah. because before we get to three hours and twenty-two uh, minutes, do yeah. you have any final notes before we get to that that point? Uh, no, I think I think we've covered most of it. Uh, again, I think it's terrific, but uh, oh, but, but we also we have, have business. To, we have to, we have, well, no, no, we have to have a pause. Oh yes, business comes after the discussion. Right, right. <laughs> the roundup. Business. So Max, yes. <laughs> what did you think of this film? I think it's I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely terrific. I I think the first one, uh, as you say, is more self-contained, but uh, I think this is really good. And the every on every level, I think the directing's amazing because he makes three hours and twenty-two minutes go by like it's only three hours and ten minutes. I think, uh, <laughs> or roughly, <laughs> I, I think it's. I really enjoy this movie, and I like it every time I see it. What about you? Well, well, what if I if I may? What are some of the things that you like most about it? Like, what are the things you just go, oh, this in this film, this in this film? I'm just Again, curious. some of the use of the language, the the way, Pacino's performance in particular, that respirit, that restrained rage, Heim, uh, Lee Strasberg as Hyman Roth, acting like he's everybody's grandpa, and he's just this you know nice old Jewish man, and he's an absolutely cold blooded bastard. The, the pathetic nature of Fredo, who is both horrible and, you know, kind of endearing. It's the way Connie says he's so sweet and helpless without you. And is yet that, he's still dangerous. Is it that Lee Strasberg, the famous acting teacher, too? That's the guy. He was one okay. of the guys who created uh, the method acting. No, I mean, <laughs> it was, uh, what the hell was his name? Uh, Stanislavski. But he was right. like his, uh, he created the actor's studio. Lee okay. Strasberg did. That, I thought like that name was like I think that's somebody. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I and again I like the story. I like the inclusion of the history. I really like the uh, the, the congressional hearings, which mirrored what actually happened. It uh, the the business in Cuba. Uh, I, I like the larger scale, and I really like the flashbacks. I like the images of New York's Little Italy, and I like De Niro in that in this. Cool. Yeah. What about you? Mm. <laughs> okay. Honestly, meh. Um, which is, I, I know, surprising. It surprised me because the first one I had never seen. And when I saw it, it's like, okay, now I know what this is all about. Holy crap. The performances, the story, I'm, I'm wrapped. It's interesting. Yes, it's three hours, but cool. And some of my notes were things like, what happened to Michael between the first and second films? I don't really understand. I felt the movie felt meandering and not tight. Especially going off to Cuba. It's like, I see where we're going, but we're spending all this time in Cuba, and the way it ends for me was just sort of like, oh, we're in Cuba, stuff's about to get really crappy. Well, Michael, he's out. Oh. Oh, I guess that's not ten. I thought it was tension. Um, I liked the, the background stuff for Vito, but I don't know that it helped me understand the story of this film any better. It helped me understand the story of the previous film, but I don't know if it necessarily made me feel like I'm glad it was here now. 
Huh. Um, I was confused by some of the plot points, and you know, you you felt that was okay. The audience was supposed to be confused, but I was confused not only in who was responsible, but I wasn't sure who I was supposed to. Um, I was having trouble following the story, uh. and also. I would say even more so than in the first film, the word protagonist's definition is really stretched. Because <laughs> there's not really anybody in this film that you... Some of the kids are okay. Hey, yeah, I don't think you mean protagonist. I think you mean hero. Protagonist is just who the person things happen to in the movie. There's well, no... The word pro. <laughs> in favor uh. of. Uh, <laughs> it's like you... I think... I don't think anything that was done with Michael was wrong. I.e., I think I can see totally why he's reacting the way he is. I just don't know what caught, got him to that point. Because he seemed so in control at the end of the first movie, and now he's paranoid against everybody. Um, and I just, it didn't, that part didn't quite work with me. But I am in a vast minority. If, does that make sense? Uh, <laughs> Not really. Uh, no. You're in a very uh, small minority. There we go. It's like meteoric rise. I hate that phrase. Meteors don't rise. Um, <laughs> that is not impressed. Um, I didn't... I don't know. It didn't grab me the way the first one did. It felt okay. uneven, um, which surprised me a lot. Um, but there you go. Well, Stuff happens. Wrong! Pat Buchanan! <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should go watch that third one. Maybe I'll feel better. <laughs> oh god. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I encourage you. Go watch the third one. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, but now yeah. we have some business. Yes, we do. As always, you can uh, check out the backlog of all of our uh, previous episodes for whatever the hell reason you'd want to on uh, maxmikemovies.com, <laughs> our website. Uh, you can always catch us on your favorite podcast app, the Google Podcast app, the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio. We're on Spotify. And you can find us mediating on the socials over on Facebook and the Twitters under Max Mike Movies. And, of course, you can always write us with uh, questions, comments, compliments, hatreds, severed horse Large heads. amounts of cash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, a, a briefcase with $2 million in it meant for President <laughs> Batista uh, at our email address, us, us, at maxmikemovies.com. Mm. So, speaking of, of the types of sequel, what type of sequel are we seeing next week? Well, I wanted to keep it themic, so I wanted it to be uh, another a movie that's in some way related to this one. Sure. Uh, so this movie, as you will admit, has a lot of guns in it. Uh, yes, there are quite a few guns. And once you shoot those guns... Yes? You've got to do something, otherwise you can't shoot anymore, right? Right. What do you do? Duck? No, no, no. <laughs> if you want to shoot again, not get shot at. You reload. <laughs> Exactly. So next week we're going to watch uh, Matrix Reloaded. Wow, that was a stretch. I, did you pull anything? Uh, I think you need I to lie myself. down. <laughs> yes, we will watch uh, a sequel known as Matrix Two or Matrix Reloaded. Take your pick. A uh, film that uh, I want to say most of us didn't see coming, uh, um, and it stars Keanu Reeves at Al. Who, who's um, this Al guy? Uh, I don't know, but next week we'll find out when that glitch makes us repeat this whole thing all over again. So, Whoa. <laughs> did I just blow your mind? <laughs> uh, so next week, if you'd like to see this all over again, join us, won't you? This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. Thank you.